Welcome into the Jaguars Broadcast Week in Review podcast presented by TIAA Bank. J.P. Shadrick with you. Today is Friday, April 16th, two weeks to the NFL Draft. We've got the best of the week from Jaguars Broadcasting, including Trevor Toaster Talk, GM Trent Baalke's history of draft trading, plus the league's announcement of the offseason program and the NFLPA's response. Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network, available on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Give us a comment and give us the five-star treatment as always. Let's start Monday with Jaguars Reporters, the podcast with Ashwin Sullivan, John Osher, and I. We got into Trevor Lawrence Toaster Talk. All right, everyone ask. Trevor Lawrence, speaking of him, a married man. Got married this past weekend to his lovely wife, Marissa. And if you don't follow Did Mar- you watch it live online? Was there a live stream I that know. I didn't know I, about? I thought you would know. No? No. Okay. You weren't invited? No. Rude, right? John no. turned it down. He I thought for it. sure I'd I be on the John, list. John was busy. He couldn't make it. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> if you want to see great content, follow his wife on Instagram. She posts all the wedding pics. You get all okay. the details that way. Trevor posts very little, yeah, which... I think none of us are surprised by He's that. He's a guy's guy. Yeah. He uh, doesn't have time for right. Instagram. No, no, no. Marissa does. The huge takeaway, I think everybody sort of knows uh, Jaguar's Twitter bought them the toaster. Awesome. Smart $300 toaster. $300 toaster. Yeah. And for the flat screen. Uh, I mean, that's fantastic. There's not, I mean, <laughs> and as much as, you know, JP, I mean, no, JP's not as old. I'm, I'm the old man, so I can sit here and say, ah, social media. It's, it's, it's the work, you know. But for all the weirdness and sometimes negative things that the social media bring. This is the sort of thing that without social media would never happen. We're living in, a, in an incredibly strange interactive time where something like this could happen. For whatever Jaguars Twitter specifically, Twitter in general, forever toxic it can be sometimes. This is an example of how it's absolutely wonderful. So I guess they got a toaster, uh, so they got a vacuum cleaner, and then the rest goes to a charity of Trevor Lawrence's choice. Got yeah, I, I yeah. think, which yeah. is pretty cool, man. It's, that's, that's really it's raised good. over seven thousand dollars. Seven grand. Yes, yeah. it raised over. As of twelve hours ago, they were over seven thousand dollars. It couldn't be more fun. Yeah, that's awesome. What does a three hundred dollar toaster not do? I guess it better do everything. Of course, it does. This will be in his lovely home in Ponte It better Pedro. pull the toast out and do it itself. It, it better butter, <laughs> butter it with butter, <laughs> jelly, yeah. after the fact, too. It's, uh, it would be walking my dog. Yes, overall, very cool. And congrats to the newlyweds. Congratulations. Very, very cool. All if right, he John. shows up here. I mean, we might, you know, there might be well, another Well, if not, we're just congratulating a, a, what seems to be a good guy. <laughs> now, that would be a story. Do they take the toaster back if, if he's not? Oh, my you know? gosh. The audacity in drama. Jaguars Reporters runs Mondays on the official Jaguars Podcast Network. Now to Jags Drive Time Tuesday morning. Early this week, defensive coordinator Joe Cullen sat down with John Osier to discuss the defensive scheme and much more. The reaction from Ashlyn, John, and Brian Sexton. One thing that is good, at least for John Osher and Jaguars.com, is we got some type of clarification of what this defense is going to look like. Defensive coordinator Joe Collins said it is going to look much more like a hybrid scheme. It's not a set 3-4. It's not a 4-3. There's going to be some in-between. And, John, that was probably just music to your ears when you heard that. Everybody wants to take all this and fit it into a, a, <laughs> Glue stick. a hole. And they want to put it 3-4, and they want to put little things on a depth chart and have it be through it one, two, three, and you're going to start. Organized. Yay. It doesn't work that way because the NFL has changed so much. Um, 
from the days when you did roll out there and you had a 3-4 defense with three linemen, four linebacker, four DBs, and you, and you occasionally might put in a nickel or a dime package. Now there are so many different situations. You change things based on who you are playing. It's a hybrid defense. It's not fair to call it a, a pure 3-4 or a pure 4-3. The reality is it's going to change based on who they're playing and on the strengths of the personnel. And for it, it's not necessarily going to print it going to fit your printout, Schlin. I know you're a big factor in all this. You want answers. Oh my but it's going to be a hybrid defense. Brian. I would tell you that it will be interesting to see the types of players that they draft on the defensive side of the ball. You remember this, John. Back when, when not every defense was hybrid, because let's be honest, every defensive coordinator in the league is going to say something similar to what Joe Collins said. You know, they'll have a base here, but they'll give different looks. You know, you get so many people at the line of scrimmage nowadays, it looks like an eight-man front half the time. So I'll be interested to see the guys that they draft. If you remember back in the day when the Steelers and the Ravens were the teams that, and the Bills, primarily, they had that big hulking nose tackle. Um, they didn't have these big, long, athletic uh, defensive ends. They had guys like Kimo Von Olhoffen, you know, if you remember him from the Steelers and Bengals days. You know, six foot four, uh, wasn't a, a speed rusher, was more of a defensive tackle playing in a five technique. And his whole job was to try to jam up the corners so that the ends could get outside. I, I'm just going to pay attention on draft day to the types of players, the way the linebackers look. Um, you know, not every team in the league saw LeVon Kirkland out of Clemson all those years ago as a Pro Bowl linebacker inside in a 3-4 defense. A lot of them thought he was going to be a guy who put his hand on the ground eventually because he was so big. So we'll see what he does with, with the type of personnel. But I, I, the takeaway for me is every defense in the league is some form of a hybrid. Yes, it's the trendy thing to be nowadays is a hybrid defense. Well, it, it's the thing you have to be because of the way the game has changed. Yeah, and for sure. If you watch the Ravens, it's really hard if you watch four or five Ravens plays, which is where Joe Cullen came from, it's hard to know what they're in before the snap mm -hmm. because they're moving around so much. So once the season starts, I don't think this question will matter that much. Jags Drive Time airs Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock on Jaguars.com and the Jags social media channels. On to the Huddle Up podcast Wednesday. NFL media analyst Bucky Brooks, John Ozer, and I took a look at Trevor Lawrence off the field and how he's already digging into the new Jaguars playbook. Something yes. has to happen at some point where we figure out that the kid's not perfect. I mean, no, so far it's unbelievable how picture perfect this guy is. But I mean, he's a good he's a good kid. Like, um, and talking to his parents and all that other stuff, he, like, look, he he just always has kind of been on the line. I'm not saying that there won't be anything that comes up or he'll handle every situation correctly, but his maturity, I mean, that that might be his best trait like how mature he is in handling all of the other stuff and not really being caught up in the life. And I think, I mean, you know it, you're in Indianapolis around Peyton and he talked about how he always aspired to be like Peyton Manning, man. Some, some, some guys get it, you know, and I think he got it at a very early age. And I think if you go back just from a philosophical standpoint, when it comes to franchise quarterbacks, we used to always think about, is he presidential? Like, can he carry himself? like that like can he can you Good see work. him in front of in front of the mic with the regalness about him and I think with Trevor the way that he handles it the way that he's well schooled the way that he kind of has it like he he has that and I can't confidently say that every other quarterback that would have been in that position would 
would appear to check off those boxes. We continue our conversation here on the Huddle Up podcast. Trevor Lawrence apparently is in the Jaguars playbook, according to reports this week on NFL Network, getting an early look at the Jaguars mm-hmm. scheme. It's something we talked about a few weeks ago. You, you give pieces of the playbook to some of these prospects to see how they can spit it back. But the reports that we saw, you know, it sounds like a little more than that, Bucky, from the reports from Ian Rappaport. Well, that's the beauty of having a number one pick and knowing exactly who it is. It's very similar to what the Cincinnati Bengals did uh, a year ago with Joe Burrow. He had all the stuff. He was ready to go. There was no quarterback competition coming into camp. Uh, They basically built it around what he could do. And I would anticipate the Jaguars will, will do the same. This will be a bit of a cooperation to kind of figure out where Trevor is. uh, Coach Bevel, Coach Schottheimer, Coach Meyer will get together and they will try and put together an offense that works for him. I still would say when I look at the strength of the team as it's presently constructed, offensive line running game, Trevor acting as the manager until he's ready to do more. I think if we ask Coach Meyer the perfect scenario, I think that would be the perfect scenario that Trevor doesn't have to, in the first eight games of the year, throw it 35 to 40 times for the Jaguars to stay in games. If they could control it with their O-line, the running game, play good enough defense, I would say that he would probably believe that that is the best formula for Trevor, and I think that is probably the best progression for Trevor to make. More from the Huddle Up podcast coming up in just a little bit. When we return, Trent Baalke's draft trading history. Draft analyst Tony Pauline on what the Jags could do at 25 and 33. Plus, Jeff Lagerman reacts to the NFLPA statements. All that after this. Jaguars fans, are you excited about draft day? Get in on the action. Enter the TIAA Bank Meet the Pick sweepstakes today for your chance to win a special meet and greet experience with the Jaguars draft pick. Learn more at TIAABank.com slash meet the pick. No purchase required to enter or win and will not increase your chances of winning. Open legal residence of 50 United States and D.C. 18 years and older. Entry period from March 29, 2021 through April 29, 2021. To enter in for official rules, prize description, odds of winning, and other details, visit TIAABank.com slash meet the pick. Sponsored administrator, TIAA Bank, a division of TIAA FSP. Welcome back to the Jaguars Broadcast Week in Review podcast presented by TIAA Bank. April 9th was the renewal deadline for current season ticket holders, and very soon, those who place deposits for new season tickets, well, they'll start the process of selecting seats. So if you haven't renewed, your past due, and your seats could go to a new season ticket holder. Look for the renewal link in your email, visit jaguars.com, or call 904-633-2000. Also, check out the official Jaguars podcast network, as you're probably doing right now. It's a free subscription on Apple iTunes or Spotify. Jaguars reporters on Mondays, Huddle Up Wednesday, the Ozone podcast. Give us the five-star rating and a comment. Another bit from Wednesday's Huddle Up podcast now. Jaguars GM Trent Baalke does have a track record back in San Francisco of not being scared to deal draft picks to get into a better spot in the draft, either up or down, or to select a certain player. Bucky, John, and I discuss. You know, it's been a long time ago since Trent Baalke had his first draft in San Francisco. And if you remember, you know, he took over late in that process in 2010, like a month before the draft, there was some front office shakeup. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's in charge of the draft a month later. <laughs> and he, he did some wheeling and dealing in that draft that affected the next couple of years of the 49ers draft situation. How, how much do you, does, does that matter now? His history, uh, you know, 
he may not have had a lot of that in the last few years in San Francisco, but that's that's 10, 11 years ago. Traded back to the third round. They got Navarro Bowman that year mm-hmm. and a fourth-round pick. But then the next year, they moved up from 45 to 36, used that additional fourth-round pick to get Colin Kaepernick, and those are big pieces of that Super Bowl run, of course. It, it's too far removed, right, to really look too far into that. No, it speaks to how he treats the draft when he feels – conviction about a player or players that if he feels like there's a player that can be an impact player, he's willing to move up and get them. I didn't even realize that they draft, they traded up to get in range to get cap. I mean, he, he was a huge addition um, and a huge part of their run to the Super Bowl. Uh, Navarro Bowman team with Patrick Willis, they locked down the middle of that 49ers defense for years. That's, I mean, that speaks to it. Now there are going to be some swings and misses because when you go and you check there, there's some guys, that were taken that you're like, ah, that was a bit of a reach. But he also hit an Alden Smith. Alden Smith came into sure. the league and had a pretty pedestrian collegiate career. But, I mean, first three years, he's one of the – like he was trending towards all-time great status. So, Balky definitely has an eye for talent. He knows exactly what he's looking for. The key will be can he and Coach Meyer get on the same page when it comes to who they're bringing in. I think this is well, a lot. Everything done. I heard about the Senior Bowl – was that's what this guy likes to do. Trent Baalke likes to move around in the draft and get in spots where he thinks there's value in the draft. He likes to try to maximize picks there. Mm-hmm. And that he, that he can do it, like JP said, but with an eye on the next year. And, and I've heard different things from people. We had uh, Tony Pauline on, who's a very good draft guy as well, mm-hmm. said he thinks that next year's draft, deeper in the draft, should be better than this year's draft, deep in the draft. Like you're going to see more good fifth, sixth-round picks because of all the guys who went back to school this year. Uh, so could Trent later in the, in the draft, if he doesn't like six-round picks this year, could he try to trade for fifth and six-round picks next year? He, he talks about value, and that seems to be in line with somebody who likes to try to find a lot of value in the draft. So I think, I think watching him in this year's draft is going to be fascinating to learn how he likes to operate. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how Balky approaches all of it. The draft, the look ahead because it's an uneven playing field. So how can I judge who's normally going to pop their, their final season and call when you don't have those things? And so how much do you know about the 2022 class that comes into play when you're making some decisions on 2021? It's a different landscape, man. It's more volatile, more wild, wild west-like than I ever can imagine, ever can remember. The Huddle Up podcast runs Wednesday mornings on the official Jaguars podcast network. Now, in that clip, you heard John Osier reference his conversation with Tony Pauline, a longtime draft analyst now with ProFootballNetwork.com. That conversation ran during the Ozone podcast Thursday morning. Is this a good year to have 25? Does the first round go that deep? What are your thoughts? I have 25 players with lock-solid first-round grades. So that is the demarcation line, if you will. 26 is a guy who is maybe a first, maybe a second-round selection. Uh, I think if you're the Jaguars, the question is, are there any good offensive linemen there? There's going to be no tight ends there. Does a guy like Tevin Jenkins fall to the Jaguars at that spot? Or do the Jets or the Steelers snag them a few picks before this? Oliveira Tucker, offensive lineman. Fall to that uh, fall to that spot, or do one of those teams uh, select them? You know, if Celeb Farley's there. Do you take a chance on him? Uh, and I think Celeb Farley will be there. I, I think that's really where the 
the line is where you got the, the solid first rounders end and then it kind of falls off after that. Uh, it's just a matter of what position they're looking at and, and who's available. I saw in your notes this weekend, it was interesting, you mentioned three guys you think could slip, Etienne, uh, Tony, and Barmore. Those are all guys that a lot of Jaguars fans sort of have an eye on. Good players, is that a situation where the Jaguars could get the uh, one of those guys at number 33 overall? You think one of those guys slips? ATN, 50-50. I do think Barmore will be there uh, at the top of round two. I mean, he's good, but he has a very undeveloped game. He's more of a one-gap penetrating defensive tackle. Uh, <clears throat> and the fact is, you know, with the Jaguars, they've used a lot of draft capital up front yeah. uh, on that defensive line. At what point in time do you say, listen, let's, let's stop the bleeding and let's just run with what we have? I do think Tony will be there. He's uh, And I think that would be a good fit. I mean, I, I'm sure Trevor Lawrence would love throwing the ball. He's a consistent receiver. His game really uh, improved last year. He's not a home run hitter. He's a solid vertical receiver with good speed, but he doesn't have that second burst. Sort of a, a fit, taller, thin guy. May have to line him up in the slot. May have to line him up backed off the line of scrimmage. I, I think he's good. I don't think he's a, a lock-solid first-round pick, as a lot of people have been projecting. It sounds like because of the guys going back to college that you think the 2022 draft is going to be a lot better than 2021. Am I reading that right? I don't know how it's going to be better at the top because it, this year is very good at the top, but I gotcha. think what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of guys, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, you're going to have plenty of talent. I mean, you could literally have a situation next year where <clears throat> despite the fact there's 255 guys selected in the draft, you could have 300 to 350 guys with draftable grades. What does that mean? That means that in all, it's very reasonable to think that someone that has a third-round grade could actually fall into the fifth round because of the fact that there are going to be so many players in that area that have third, fourth-round grades. People, are, uh, Players are going to fall. And I think what's going to happen is when you see trades on day three this year, it's going to be trades where the team trading away the pick are getting selections in the 2022 draft. Right. Because there's going to be so much more talent uh, on the last day of the draft. And, you know, people just concentrate. And the narrative is always talking about the first round and the top 10 picks. And the first round has a very bad miss rate. I mean, uh, very bad fail rate. You know, a lot of good players come out of the middle rounds, the later the later rounds. You look at, look at Jacksonville, what they did with James Robinson, the, an undrafted free agent. So I think you're going to have a lot of real good talent in 2022 in the middle and late round. As always, check out the full Ozone podcast on the official Jaguars podcast network. We'll wrap this week with Jaguars Happy Hour Radio Thursday. Jeff Lagerman and I got into the off-season program schedule announcement from the league and the reaction by the NFL Players Association. Now remember, Lagerman is a former NFLPA vice president and was the player rep for the Jaguars in the earliest days of the organization, and he had his noted battles with Tom Coughlin back in those days. This week, the NFLPA started releasing statements on behalf of players on certain teams saying they would not be attending voluntary practices in the offseason, considering the pandemic, health and safety protocols, and the success of last season without an in-person offseason program. That whole situation got Lagerman going on a Thursday afternoon. And I think what's going to happen and will happen without question because there's different teams that have different bonus structures for off-season workouts. 
this team being one of them. Absolutely. There's other teams in the league that are, for example, Green Bay and Buffalo have high offseason incentives, and the reason why they have a hard time attracting the players to live in Green Bay and to live in Buffalo. That's a fact. That's been that way for years. And so there are significant incentives to get the players to live in that market in the offseason. The players are not going to bypass 606 figures. And I don't care if somebody's making millions. Uh, the reality is, if you're making six figures as an offseason workout bonus, you're not going to, what are you going to? Say, no, I'm not going to do that just because the union put out a statement that says, you know, we want all of our players to, to not report for anything voluntary. And if I'm the player and I've got a bonus, I'm saying the hell with the union. I mean, right. what, are you, what are you talking about? Right. And here, here's the other reality. Yes. If you're vaccinated and you're in an environment that's controlled, which the league is going to do its best, way better, okay, than Joe's gym around the corner that a player could work out on his own. It makes zero sense for the union to put out that information. And I have a problem with that, and I've been a union guy. Uh, you have, yes. Uh, I was a vice president of the union. I was a player rep for eight years, a vice president for two years, and I have, I have no understanding as to why the union would do this. I think J.C. Treader stepped on his tongue. And this one, in okay. my opinion. There are six teams now. The Bears are the latest today to put out a statement of some sort. Now, the interesting part is some of these, the first couple of statements were like, nobody's going. And then I think they realized, oh, wait a minute, some guys really have to go to get these bonus checks. Well, you know, we're looking at it here. You mentioned there's some teams with different off-season structures, right, for the bonuses and all mm -hmm. that, the workout bonuses. And the Jaguars, uh, this is off uh, Pro Football Talk, but it's uh, from OverTheCap.com as well. Well, the Bills have 28 players with workout bonuses, just over $3 million total. Packers have 19. Those are the two you mentioned. The Jaguars are next right there with 24 players at $3.7 million. Which has always been the way that the Jaguars have wanted to be, and it started going back in the days of Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin wanted his players here in this market, and then it continued on throughout. And then, obviously, a lot of the incentives that we're seeing aren't recently negotiated by Urban Meyer. These are what was already in place from the yeah. Tom Coughlin, Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone regime. But I just, I just don't understand why would you put a statement out that your membership will not back up? Because and, and because right. when I, when I say that that it makes sense to to be in in the place where you can train and, and to be safe, do I would I rather come to TIA Bankfield and work with trainers, strength coaches, and coaches that have all been vaccinated, that have a regular cleaning policy, that have a unbelievable staff on hand to make sure that this place is clean from top to bottom every day. Yes. Rehab an injury at a place that I know is clean top to bottom that has people that have been vaccinated because they're in tier one or tier two mm -hmm. versus trying to do all that on your own somehow, somewhere with all those safety protocols that, that can't be in place. That won't be in place. I, I just, I just don't understand the mindset, and I understand it's voluntary. All you had to do was put out a statement: is that is saying we have believed in the voluntary portion 
of the all season, and we continue to believe in that. We want players to make the best decision in their interests as individuals. We as a union support our membership whatever decision that they make. You don't come out and make a blanket statement that says that they shouldn't go. It's ridiculous. Because you know what? As a, as a, as a union member, there's guys that want to go. There's guys that want to come in and work out with their, with their teammates, yeah. that want to work with their new coach, that want to learn yeah, that need to get a new system. Time on the field to get better, you know, technique, it, all that stuff. And, and I don't know, if, can I say the A-S-I-N-I-N-E word? Is asinine. That, asinine. Yeah. It's an asinine statement yeah. by the union. Why wouldn't you say that? I just wanted to make sure. I don't want to get the FCC <laughs> yeah, okay. coming and firing well, me and safe you than and sorry, Joe I just guess. because of something I said. Anyway, that, that just <laughs> you know, I felt I, I texted you earlier today, and I, I felt pretty strongly about it. I felt that. like it, just, it. Yes, it makes it makes no sense. It, it makes no sense. And here and here's the bad part. It's going to make the union look bad. Really, it's going to make the union look bad because. Where the, where the union has, has had Detroit, Buffalo, or whoever, they put out these things and said, okay, we've agreed that we're not going to go. And then all of a sudden guys start to go because they start realizing that that's probably their safest alternative to preparing for a season is to be able to do it in their market where they're going to be playing football and, and working for their employer. How's that going to make the union look? It's going to make them look like a bunch of buffoons that don't know what they're doing. Now, last year, the, the, the union was marvelous, tremendous, a big part of why the season went off in, in, in its entirety. But this year, big mistake. Jaguars Happy Hour Radio airs Thursdays at 4 o'clock on 1010XL AM Radio in Jacksonville and the Jaguars' social media channels. Next week... Phase one of the off-season program, including virtual meetings, the first for Urban Meyer with his new team, and, of course, weight room work. Plus, we're inside two weeks from the NFL draft. Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network. Wherever you download your podcast, leave a comment and give us a five-star rating. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next week on the Jaguars Broadcast Weekend Review Podcast, presented by TIAA Bank.